0: he's like, okay, well, what you, what you like and what you don't like is irrelevant. So you're going to be best if you just stay neutral. So when things happen to you in a race, like someone runs by you with, with loud music, or there's some sort of weird hill or some weird thing in the course, because that's happened to me a lot, like some crazy hairpin turn, which in the past, like super annoy me or whatever it could be. Um, You gotta just stay neutral. Like, Don't let those things distract you from your goal.
1: If you have ever asked yourself, how do I run a race injury-free or get out of the constant injury cycle, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Healthy Runner, where I will teach you how to enjoy lifelong injury-free running so you can continue getting in those mental clearing runs and even hitting PRs well into your 40s, 50s, and beyond. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, avid half marathoner, coach, running physical therapist, and founder of Spark Physical Therapy Healthy Runner, where we help dedicated runners get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running with the perfect online running coach, even if you have been told to stop running with an injury. Learn more about our signature coaching program at programs.sparkyourtraining.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow the show on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode. Thanks for joining me. Now on to the show. Hey, healthy runners, are you ready for your glow up? Have you guys heard the news yet? Knox Gear signature product, the tracer, which I have been glowing about see what I did there, for the better part of nine months now has just been re-engineered for a better fit, higher visibility, more color modes, and twice the LEDs for your brightest move yet with the Tracer 2. All of our healthy runners use Knox Gear during this time of the year when the days are getting shorter in order to get in those runs, even if it is dark outside. One of my pet peeves is when I'm driving and I don't see a runner until the last minute because they're not visible because they're not using Knox Gear. We are all about runner health on this podcast and Knox Gear's Tracer 2 is an essential running tool to keep you safe and visible while running. The Tracer 2 keeps me lit up from all directions during my 5.30 a.m. runs, and I always get shout-outs and comments from other walkers and people traveling in cars because they notice the light display I'm giving off. If you are looking for running gear that will actually help you stay safe while running, we've got a special offer for you where you can save 35% off by using the code HEALTHYRUNNER. Just head to knoxgear.com. That's N-O-X-G-E-A-R.com and use the code HEALTHYRUNNER at checkout to save 35% off. Go ahead and give Knox Gear a try. Trust me, you will never feel safer running. Do you wanna know how to break through mental barriers when running? We are talking about gaining mental strength and how you can improve your mindset and decrease anxiety so you can get out of your own way in achieving your goals in not only running, but in life. If your mind has become your biggest obstacle with your running, then you will want to continue to listen as we have someone here with us who has detailed her seven-year journey to overcome mental barriers and qualify for the iconic Boston Marathon. Welcome to episode 133 on the Healthy Runner podcast where we help you get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running. Today, we have a very special guest with us. As I mentioned, Elizabeth Clore is a 31-time marathoner, 12-time Boston qualifier, and author of the book I just finished reading yesterday, Boston Bound, which details her seven-year journey to overcome mental barriers and qualify for the Boston Marathon. Thank you so much for accepting my invite, Elizabeth. I'm excited to be able to chat with you.
0: Thank you so much. It's an honor to be uh, a guest on your podcast.
1: Yeah, guys. So in this episode, we're going to be chatting about some common problems many runners face, uh, which stems from really getting out of our own way and out of our own minds. And I'm sure many of you are going to be able to relate to Elizabeth's story. And you've probably been there before, whether it was just for like a run, a training run, that is, or maybe it was a race, or maybe it is every time you go out there. So in this episode, um, Elizabeth's going to really share eight key principles that have helped her overcome her mental barriers and put into practice, not only for her running, but into everything she does in life. Um, we're going to also kind of do a little deep dive into the problem Elizabeth was facing as she struggled to get that elusive BQ and how she overcame this to go on and run another 11. Boston qualifying times, which is just absolutely amazing, by the way. Um, So Elizabeth, on the show, we always start with what we call a little dynamic warm up because we're all about movement here at Healthy Runner. Um, I shared a brief bio, uh, but can you tell the listeners where you call home and give us a little bit more backstory on how you've gotten to this point in your running journey?
0: Sure. So I am here in Northern Virginia, a suburb of Washington, D.C., Uh, I was born and raised here. I've lived here my whole life, except for the four years when I was in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia studying English, and that was my major, so it's always been a dream of mine to write a book, and I hope to write more of them. Uh, Topic TBD. Um, In terms of my running, how I got here, I started running when I, uh, shortly after I graduated college, I graduated in the year 2000, and I... uh, was sort of looking for like a hobby or something to do, um, and I decided I was going to go to the gym and get healthy, and that would serve as a hobby, and it would also be good for me. I was I had never really had a gym membership. Um, I was a dancer all throughout growing up as a child and and high school and in college. But then when you graduate college, it's sort of a very difficult time. Here you are thrust into adulthood, and you don't have the structure. There's no more sororities. There's no more grades. So I was always this sort of big overachiever and like, well, what am I going to achieve? Uh, I had a a career, but that wasn't really going very well for me at that time. So I was looking for something that I just could feel a little bit more in control. And so I went to a gym and started um, mainly wanted to take step aerobics because that was the closest thing to dancing I could find and step aerobics in 2000, uh, 2001 was like all the rage. Everyone was doing it if you don't know what step aerobics is, you're probably a lot younger than me. It's basically where you have this step and it's aerobics and you step over it and side to side and jump over it. and there's cool little dance moves that go with it. It's like the Zumba of like the early 2000s, late nineties. Anyway, yeah,
1: that's a good way to sum that up. My wife used to love those classes by the way.
0: <laughs> um, um, But then it wasn't, my class wasn't offered. Uh, it was only offered twice a week and I had this very expensive gym membership for someone who just graduated college and whose career wasn't going well. Uh, so I decided I needed to get my money's worth. So when I wasn't doing step aerobics on those days, I decided I was going to sort of work on my endurance by running on a treadmill because it was, it felt like it'd be like the easiest machine to use because all the other machines intimidated me. I'm like, well, this one you just hit go and you just run. I can do that. So I, um, I started off by doing like one mile. I ran it. I think I had a treadmill set to like five, six, five, seven. And by the end of that mile, I was like, so totally winded. Um, but then I stuck with it. Um, and ultimately able to run two, three, four miles. And so I just was, a, I was a treadmill runner. I love the treadmill. I had my music, uh, gym was super convenient and I did treadmill for like four or five years. Um, until I went five years after graduation, I went to my high my college reunion and there was this like two mile race, And my roommate's like, you know, instead of going to the gym and running on the treadmill, why don't you do this two-mile race? I'm like, "Mm -hmm, okay, sure. Um, Two miles isn't very much for me, but I can always go to the gym after. (laughs) So uh, different mindset from what I have now. And and Mm -hmm. I did that two-mile race, and I was the first um, female finisher, which was unexpected, and I won like, you know, a little award and it was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then the guy who I ran it with, which is someone I graduated with, he's like, hey, you're, you're a pretty good runner. You should do this 10K that's in DC next week and I'm doing it. And uh, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. He's like, just come out and here's all the information. So I came out and I ran this big, huge 10K lawyers have heart. And there was like chip timing and not like thousands of people, probably like two, 3000 people. Um, and it was really exciting. I had no clue what I was doing, but I, you know, I would typically run six or seven miles on the treadmill. So, um, but I was, I was not an outdoor runner, but I did it. It was really hot and, uh, I really liked it. So from there, that's sort of how I got into racing. It was this opened up this whole new world of, oh, and there's half marathons and there's marathons. I kind of just never really knew that that existed to me. It was just, I was happy with the treadmill I was sort of in my own world with it. Um, And then once I realized that these like 10K, half marathon, 5K things existed, I was like super, super into it. And so that's sort of how my running career got kicked off. That first um, 10K there was in 2005 and uh, I'm still doing it today.
1: Oh my goodness. And yeah, you've done a lot in your running uh, journey. And I just love that because I think so many people can relate. I know I surely can relate. Um, number one, the fact that you graduated in uh, 2000 um, during the Y2K craze and like, you know, the world didn't end. Remember when we thought the world was going to end uh, in 2000 with the millennium? And um, I graduated in 2001. So I remember those step aerobics classes. Yeah, we used to do them at the gym. And I actually started out my running journey very similar to yours in that I was a treadmill runner just before my workouts. Uh, I was a, more of a gym rat like you describe. And the other thing that we have in common, which you probably wouldn't expect me to say, is that I grew up as a dancer. So yeah, I didn't do any sports kind of in high school and stuff. It was, I was dancing and you know I did dance all throughout. And then in college, I didn't have competitive teams at that time. We had a little dance company. Uh, So I did that for uh, four years in college. But yeah, when I heard that about you, I was like, see, we always have things Mm -hmm. in common. There's actually a lot of runners uh, that I come into contact. So you are um, probably like the fifth person, you know, besides like Allie Feller that I've had on the show, like uh, our mutual friend, Shauna Miller uh, from Stiletto Running. She's also a dancer. Um, and I feel like there's been a bunch of people who have like been dancers and now as adults, we've become runners. Um, and that's kind of what we do to kind of stay in physical shape and then for a, a challenge because you don't see many adult dancers. Right. Um, so one of the things that also I, I really was impressed with is because I actually, you know, started following you on Instagram, uh, through Shauna's page, you know, we were, she's been on the show before and she's local here in Connecticut and, um, you know, I, I started seeing some things on Instagram. I was following your page. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And I saw, you know, you had your book and I just, you know, shared with the listeners um, that I've been really investing in my own mental health and, you know, trying to wind down more before bed, get better restful sleep. And, um, I started reading and I've never read before. So I started reading two books and I saw your book and I was like, Hey, why don't I try a running book? And I've just absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, I've been reading it on the weekends at the beach, reading it before bed. Um, it's been really, really great, um, read. So we'll definitely get into, uh, some of you know the specifics in in the book itself, and kind of your actionable strategies. That I just really love how you kind of detail like those eight key principles. Um, you know, on your journey in qualifying for Boston at the end, um, but then I also have some other you know questions for you um, along the way. Does that sound like a plan for today?
0: It does, absolutely.
1: Awesome! And by the way, guys, first off, like you know, just a pitch the book, if you. Are interested in any of this stuff, um, you can definitely get Elizabeth's book. We'll give you all the information. um, At the end, we can get it on Amazon. And it is really, really great, great read, especially for you running nerds out there as if you want to know details of running, but then also really more importantly, and how to honestly not obsess so much like that's my like big take home of the whole the whole book here, not to, like spoiler alert, but, um, you know, not to have like running overtake your lives. Right. Like we, we love running and it's a part of our lives, but it, it should be a part and not be overtaking um, your lives. So I guess, you know, just in a little bit of reflection or retrospect, you know, can you just share with us why you did actually um, write this book?
0: Yeah, um, I definitely felt like I went through this sort of um, epiphany and I became, I want to say, sort of like a different person. I had this big, huge weight lifted off of me and it was this huge sense of relief and it really just affected everything that I did, not just my running, but how I saw myself, how I saw the world, how I interacted with people. And I became more relaxed. I was always this super uptight perfectionist, type A, probably wasn't very fun, Um, always just focusing on, you know, what can I achieve? How can I be better? Um, And putting a lot of pressure on myself. And through this process of working with a sports psychologist, I just was really able to just um, be a lot more laid back. And it just felt so incredible that i thought that maybe there are other people out there who were struggling with the same things maybe not even realizing it like i didn't even realize that being a perfectionist is necessarily not a great thing like, oh you're a perfectionist you strive to be perfect how can that not be good so you know just identifying that some of these things can be a little bit problematic um it just really changed my world and um i had the idea of writing a book my husband just really encouraged me to actually do it. Is a lot of people like, oh, I should write a book, you know? It's um, but it's very hard to actually actually sit down and put pen to paper. But um, I did have that discipline. My husband, as I said, encouraged me, and um, my purpose in writing it was a to document everything for myself, so I'd have it as a record, and then b to put it out there to help anyone who may be having. Uh, similar issues I, I honestly didn't really expect the book was gonna sell well, maybe it will maybe it won't maybe just be my friends maybe it'll be like 20 30 copies um, it's actually really done um, really well so
1: that's amazing yeah kudos to you for kind of uh, you know taking that risk and what I really love about the book itself is it's not just you writing um, after the fact you know you're putting, like actual excerpts, because you were actually documenting this on your blog, like while you were going through that journey. So it was kind of cool to see like what your mindset was at a particular race or at a particular point and see, you know, actually what you were writing at that time. I thought that was like really neat. And I would imagine that was a lot of work to go back and, you know, to kind of get the information from those blogs. But I thought that was a nice touch. Um in the book itself and how you had like the specific excerpts from your blog um which is pretty cool yeah so let's get into these eight key principles to overcome mental barriers um so what would be the uh first uh principle that you would like to share
0: well the first now if we go through all eight this may take a really long time so maybe some will do more in depth maybe some we won't exactly Uh, go in order Um, the first one being separate yourself from a person, um, from the things that you do. And, uh, I was, I was a runner. That was who I was. And if I wasn't good at running or if I wasn't meeting my running goals and who was I, it was just, I was throwing everything I was into my identity as a runner. Like, you know, Elizabeth, the runner, that that's who I was. And I had to really learn to just kind of take that out and say, running is one thing that I do. I care a lot about it. It is a big part of my life, but it's not who I am. And how do I define myself? Um, I don't define myself by by the things I do, by my job, by my grades, by my relationships. I define myself by uh, what I put out into the world. What are my values? I'm dedicated. I'm, I'm passionate. I'm creative. Those types of things. Those are the things that I should be valuing myself for versus valuing myself for things that sort of require this external validation and that um, can come and go and aren't always in my control because no matter what, um, when it comes down to it, I I am me and no matter what I do, I bring things into it like my hard work and my dedication and, and that. So just having that separation and not defining yourself by your running or by really any accomplishment. Like a lot of people can get tied up in their career. Like I'm a doctor, I'm an attorney. This is, this is who I am. No, it's, it's really just better psychologically if you don't look at yourself as just the thing that you do.
1: Yeah, no, I think that is so important. And I think that, you know, it probably would help if we gave um, some of listeners some context in kind of your running journey prior to, um, you know, going from kind of treadmill runner to doing the, you know, the two mile race that you did, then doing the 10 K started marathoning, which was kind of walk, run for many races. Right. And then you made some like significant improvements with every single race were PRing every single race, but really the problem stemmed or started like the problem at that time that you were going through with mental barriers when you set your goals pretty high, right? So what was the goal that you set?
0: Well, the goal was to qualify for Boston. And when I st- when I ran my first marathon and I got a 4.46, I just didn't think, I was like, oh, Boston's for the fast people. That's just not anything I would ever really can see myself doing. It's just not realistic. But then, you know, two years later, less than two years after it, I had gotten my time down to 3.51 and so all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, at the time, I only needed a 340. Um, so now I'm only 11 minutes away, and I already should have shaved over like an or almost an hour off of my time. And so now it's time to just uh, shave 11 minutes off and get to Boston. And and before that, like these marathons had just kind of been for fun. And they just been like, let's see, maybe shave a few minutes off. But now things got serious and my uh, sort of type A personality kicked in. And I set that goal. And. And I became active in the running community and I shared it with friends and teammates and everything like that. And, um, it just became this thing that I set out to do.
1: Right. And during that process and that journey, because many runners, when they start out and, you know, I, myself probably didn't call myself a runner until five years, you know, into running and many people don't get that label, Right? Did you call yourself a runner right away, or was it when you reached a certain level of running?
0: I think it was maybe after I had done like one or two marathons. I, I would. Um, I remember like other people calling me a runner before I called myself a runner. Like um, I had met a bunch of people on space who also ran, and they were like, "Oh, she's a runner." I'm like, "Yeah, no, I'm not really a runner. I've just done a few races." doesn't make me a runner just because I've raced, you know, a few times. But uh, but then after like, you know, you've done one or two marathons, sort of, yeah, you consider yourself a runner.
1: <laughs> right, right. And I think that was definitely the first um MySpace drop on the podcast ever. So shout out to those in who were born in the 70s and remember MySpace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, <laughs> um As far, and so I I think this is like interesting, right? Because most of us who start running, we don't call ourselves a runner till a certain point, whether it's how many races we did, how fast we are, how many years we've been doing it. Um, But the other side that you're talking about in this first principle is kind of separating yourself from just being a runner. Right, yeah. where the pendulum can shift the other way too far. Right, we, we we're not giving ourselves enough credit. Mm-hmm. Then we're just identifying only as a runner. So I think that's an important distinction, and I think that is a very, very important point. Um, you know, in setting some of those boundaries. Um, all right. So, second principle to overcome mental barriers.
0: So that would be focusing on uh, the things you can control and not on the things that you can't control. Um, And so that's sort of with the sport of running uh, with, with the perfectionist sort of black and white mindset, the temptation is to think, well, I, if I follow this plan and I hit all these paces in training, then I'm going to go to the race and I'm going to get the goal because that's what all the calculators say. That's what the training plan says, but then you get to the race and then it's like really hot or it's humid, or there's like a ton of wind or you have a digestive issue. I mean, there's like so many things that can happen that are not within your control, um, that can just get in the way of your goals. So, um, and then once one or two of those things happen, all of a sudden that's like, Oh my God, what if it's hot? I've worked so hard and what if it's going to be really windy? Oh no. Um, So focusing on, on the things that you you can't control um, really isn't going to help you in any way, shape or form. It's not going to help you meet your goal. I mean, it's good to know what the weather's going to be so you can like dress appropriately and be prepared, but just um, harboring on it or, um, you know, obsessing over it is not really, it's, it's, hurting you more than it's helping you. So um, it's really just sort of understanding. It's sort of like w- when alcoholics are trying to overcome their addiction, um, they have the serenity prayer, like to help um, asking God to help them focus on what they uh, can control, not the things that they can, not and then the wisdom to know the difference. And that is um, very important for everyone, um, no matter who you are.
1: Yeah. And I think you, you detail that well in the book, as far as in, like you mentioned, weather in a lot of those beginning races and how much you talked about in your like race reports of how hot it was and you don't run well in the heat. And for you, you know, 50 something degrees would be like perfect for someone, but for you, it was just like way too hot. And you can see that that was like an element of focus early on, um, which, you know, as you went on in your journey, you can see that uh, you know lesson to a certain extent. And one thing that was really like shocking for me to see in the book was when you talked about the three levels of performance, according to Neil, your sports psychologist. And I thought that was like very interesting because yeah, I always thought about, hey, I don't have control when I go out there. I'm gonna give my best effort. And, but he was really talking about and he talked about that really everyone who finishes a race that 50% of the people fall in the quote unquote bottom line, which is basically things didn't go their way. 30% fall in that mid range and only 20% are actually at that upper end and hitting PRs. And I was like, wow, like that just gives you such a different level of perspective because I know there are many runners out there and I've guilty as charged. I have felt bad for myself and, you know, it, varies in terms of how how bad that feeling is right minutes seconds maybe even a little bit longer that i wasn't in that upper end but when you think about and and if you do enough races you know chances are you're not going to be in that upper end uh, many times so i thought that was like really really like eye-opening to me to see those stats
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he had those stats. It's like, you go to the finish line to like your local 5k or, or any marathon really only going to be 20% of the people that are like, Oh yeah, I just absolutely crushed it. I totally PR it. It's sort of more the exception, not the rule where everything is going to go well. And the more you race and the more experienced you get, the less likely you are because the ones that are setting the PRs, Most of them are going to be the ones that this is their like second or third race. So they have a, they have a huge untapped potential versus if you've already done 10 marathons, you're probably not going to be doing that like 20 minute PR. It's it's highly unlikely.
1: Right. Right. And isn't it, doesn't, I feel like, especially for people maybe who don't run or in beginning of running, when you say you did a race and they're like, Oh, do you PR And you like feel bad, right? Because you're like, oh, they expected me to PR. But it's like, hey, only 20%. Now that's going to be my response. Like, no, I did not PR. But did you know only 20% of the people who run races do? That's right. (laughs) Um, All right. So uh, third strategy or tip, what is that? That
0: is do not speculate. Uh, Set expectations on the process, not the outcome. So this, this what if game, oh, you know, sort of self fulfilling prophecy, I think actually that might be another one, but like sort of speculating on on the outcomes and not really hold on let me see what my notes were on that yeah expectations on the process, not the outcome so when you expect uh, set expectations on the process. Things like I'm going to take my gels at these miles. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to have this to eat. I'm going to hydrate. I'm going to make sure I do this warm up. I'm going to run the first few miles at this pace. If you sort of set expectations around that and you don't speculate about what your time is going to be, you're just going to be in a better mindset because then you're focused on all the right things that are going to get you to your goal versus just the end goal. If you're just focused on the number itself, that's actually not going to really help you get to the number. You got to focus on the things that are going to get you to your goal, the process.
1: Yeah. And I've definitely heard a lot more about that of late. Um, So I think this is a really important concept for those listening to really think about those process goals versus just the number. And speaking from someone who is like, no, nowhere close to my half marathon PR, which was like seven years ago. And so, you know, I've run 28, I think it is half marathons. And, you know, I just actually shared my kind of half marathons lessons learned from my recent race um, two weeks ago on the podcast. And, you know, one of those things as I was reflecting and really going back is, is exactly what you're talking about is really the process and, Hey, did I execute a, you know, good race strategy? Did I execute my nutrition, my hydration? Um, did I not let my mind get to those negative thoughts during the race when things got hard? And I think that is so important, and I think speaks to the maturity of a runner. And I think the sooner that you you try to set those goals for yourself as a runner, you will be less disappointed after your efforts and after your races because you are focusing on exactly what you said on the process and not the actual outcome. So I I just love that one. All right. Next one's about emotions, right?
0: Uh, Yes. Stay neutral. Don't let emotions prevent you from doing your best. And um, this one actually kind of came out when I was working with my sports psychologist, I was telling them about a race. So whenever I did a race, I'd go in and I talked to Neil and I would tell him about the race. And I said, well, at one point there was this person running near me and they had their music on like loud. So everyone could hear it. And they didn't, it wasn't headphones. It was just blasting And the song. I didn't like it. And I didn't, it kind of annoyed me. And I was like, I couldn't get away from these people. And then he's like, what did you say? I said, I didn't, I didn't like it. He's like, okay, well, what you, what you like and what you don't like is irrelevant. So you're gonna be best if you just stay neutral. So when things happen to you in a race, like someone runs by you with, with loud music or there's some sort of weird hill or some weird thing in the course, cause that's happened to me a lot like some crazy hairpin turn, which in the past, like super annoy me or whatever it could be. Um, you gotta just stay neutral. Like don't let those things distract you from your goal. Uh, don't get upset about them. Don't focus on them. Don't think about that person's music, just sort of tune it out, accept that it's there, maybe observe it. Like if you have to observe it, but you know, no, and and that also necessarily is also not necessarily don't be overly happy. I mean, smile and be happy that you're there, but be just be focused and be present, um, and just stay neutral. And that's really, uh, the sort of emotion less while you're doing it will, um, actually lead to the best, um, success in terms of performance.
1: Right. And you think about like pros, right. Whether it's runners or any athlete, it's like those that are like even keeled, right. They definitely seem to perform the best because they don't let the highs get too high. The lows get too low. So that, that one makes sense to me. Today's episode is brought to you by UCAN. UCAN Nutrition is powered by Superstarch and delivers that steady, long-lasting energy without the spike and then the crash. I had to take a moment out of this episode to share with you how the healthy runner snacks during the day, that being me. I don't know if you're like me, but I will never pass on a good snack and that is why I wanted to share with you some innovative food products that help you fuel smarter and curb cravings anytime while maintaining blood sugar and boosting energy. UCAN's healthy snacks are enhanced with super starch and crafted with healthy ingredients. This has been a game changer to curb those cravings between meals for me and my clients. I absolutely love the almond butter and it pairs so well with some honey wheat pretzel sticks, apple slices, or medjool dates. The granola is absolutely phenomenal. The only thing you will need to do is set some portion control because it tastes so good you'll want to keep going back in the bag for more. Since you are a part of our Healthy Runner community, as always, you will get 20% off all of your orders at UCAN.co. Just use the code HEALTHYRUNNER during checkout when placing your order. Go ahead and give this healthy snack a try. And believe me, you will thank me after when you feel better about your snacking habit. All right, so the fifth strategy Is to
0: to seek out positive emotions, which may seem counterintuitive to emotion neutral, but that's sort of like after the fact. So when you're done with your performance, then you're trying to seek out the positive, because if you had what you may otherwise consider a bad race where your time was slower and you don't think you did very well, well, don't focus on that. Focus on like, what are, what are the positive things and what are the positive emotions? Was it a good experience? Did you travel to a new state or a new city? And did you see new scenery? Did you meet new people? Um, did you, you know, did you have fun? Did you get good race photos? Like things like that. Uh, it's not, everything is about a PR. So, um, when you can, if you, if you have a race and you don't do well and you kind of start harping on it, and then you, you look back on that. Uh, you're much more more likely to remember like all those negative experiences and sort of go into the next race with a chip on your shoulder. Well, I don't want that to happen again. Um, The best way is is just to focus on the positive, Um, not to say that you can't be disappointed, but focusing on the positive emotions so that you're not bringing a bunch of negativity with you uh, from that race into the next race. Um, a little a little bit is fine because sometimes that can like fuel your fire. You're like, I'm determined not to do that again. Um, but also just um, not being too hard on yourself and um, realizing that once again, this is running when most of us are not professionals, we're doing it for fun. So if we're not having positive emotions around it, uh, like joy and excitement and fun and things like that, then why are we doing it? Why are we doing a sport that's not making us happy and it's not making us enjoy life. That's what it should be doing.
1: Right. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And I know we, we actually have, we have to have this conversation sometimes even with clients in our program um, who may, they tell us like, Hey, I hate running. And it's like, well, if you hate running and like, we've tried, you know, these strategies, like number one, no one says you need to run, right? Like let's find an activity of exercise that you actually want to Do right. That brings you joy. Um, but and I I think this um definitely was was something that I noticed in in within the book in your like your post-race reports, where you know, you really were writing about like the race reflection and you talked about like believing in yourself and your ability to like work hard during a race that didn't go your way, or you know, the one that was super cold or the one that was like super rainy, right? And keeping, you know, you're running separate from your other life. Like I love the stories about, you know, you and your husband and, you know, other things that were going on in your life. Um, and then the other thing that resonated with me in the book was just having some patience with yourself and then, you know, letting yourself actually run without judgment. Um, I think that's definitely important where a lot of times we will judge, right. And, you know, wonder what others are kind of thinking and what, and how we're judging our, our performance itself. So, yeah, I think those were, those were great. Um, all right. Tip number six or strategy number six
0: well, It kind of relates to what we just talked about quickly move past the setbacks and focus on forging ahead. So, um, my sports psychologist always said disappointment is Is natural and you should let yourself feel disappointed, but the the quicker you can, you don't want to shove the emotions under the carpet and just ignore them because then they're going to come back. So you have your disappointment, you deal with it, you learn from it, but the quicker you can just focus on what's next, what's next, just the better off you'll be. You don't want this negativity looming from past races, um, because you're just making it worse. Like if you didn't get your goal, um, and you were upset about it, stewing in it is, is not helping. It's I know it's sort of like the easy thing to do, but you just got to be stronger and get past it.
1: Yeah, no, that that makes sense. And I know you had talked about earlier in your races about, you know, you stewing for like days, right. And really letting it affect your life really essentially. Um, And even like you talked about like going into work and, you know, things like that. And um, so that makes sense to kind of, yeah, feel the emotions, feel the feels, but Mm -hmm. like let's get over it and move on. Uh, so that makes sense. And this other one, I think is going to be a very, uh, common one here, the old comparison trap. Yeah. Let's, let's Uh, talk about that.
0: Yeah. So number seven, don't compare yourself to other people. And I think that if I had to pick like the one of all the eight, this number seven is probably for me, the biggest one. Um, and I had actually been to a therapist, uh, way back, I think I want to say in 2003, who gave me this sort of personality test. And I said, well, what's the result of the test uh, therapist? And she said, what struck me most about how you responded to the test was that you really, really, really care about what other people think of you, like abnormally. So That's that was like the biggest thing that stuck out. Um, and I was a, a people pleaser my whole life. I didn't really have any internal validation. I judged myself on external factors like my grades and was I gonna get on the dance team? Um, how successful was I gonna be? Like, was I, did I have the right clothing? like all of these external things. Um, and I had just, that was just my automatic kind of way of being. And, uh, I had to work really hard with the sports psychologist on this, the therapist that I had had in you know, the early two thousands didn't, didn't really help me. I think we just didn't have anything tangible to work with, but when you have something like running where you're sort of in it every day, you have something tangible to work with. So, Um, when I said earlier, when I first came on about why I wrote the book and I said I had an epiphany, I can actually pinpoint the very moment when I had this epiphany and it was when I was, um, injured or I was coming sort of off of an injury one summer in 2013, I was registered for the Chicago marathon, um, in, I guess, October, and it was July, and I had this injury, and Chicago had always been on the bucket list. I was registered, my husband was registered, and I was kind of thinking to myself, um, gosh, you know, I, I'm not going to have, I'm only going to have like six or seven weeks to train because of this injury. It's not going to be a really good time, and at this point, I'd been in sports psychology for uh, well over a year, and he had been telling me, don't focus on what other people think. He'd been hammering this, hammering this, hammering this, and had been logically, I knew that i shouldn't care about what other people thought but i didn't really embrace it so i found myself thinking you know i'm going to go to chicago and it's just going to be this like four hour marathon and other people are just going to say oh gosh she didn't do very well you know she only ran a four hour and i caught that thought and i'm like wait a minute why why am i thinking that do i want to run chicago yes is it on the bucket list yes Am I going to still be able to cover the distance despite this injury? Yes. So am I going to let what someone else thinks of me prevent me from going out and doing this bucket list marathon? That would be, that would just be limiting myself. And I realized, oh my God, I was just holding myself back. I was considering just not even running Chicago because of what other people would think of my finish time. And that's, that's really just not being very nice to myself. And um, so I'm like, yes, I'm I'm gonna do Chicago and whatever the time is, it is, and, and I'm gonna be proud that I did it, and I'm not gonna care. Um, and it like literally felt like this huge burden was, was was lifted. And then like for like the next rest of the week and the next week, I just sort of was noticing that like I don't, why do I care what other people think? It's 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 only it's only hurting me. And I just had this like, oh, I'm free. Like I didn't realize that I wasn't free before. And Um, the whole, the title Boston bound, there's a double entendre there. Like it means they're like, I'm bound up in this need to qualify for Boston. Um, Like I felt like I was bound in chains. And so at this moment, I felt like I was, I was absolutely free um, from my own sort of uh, chains that I had wrapped myself up in, in my Boston obsession. So that's actually why the book is called Boston bound. Um, It's not just like, Hey, we're going to Boston. No, it's like, Bound up. Um, oh,
1: I like that. So, I, yeah. I did not pick up on that.
0: Those yeah, people <laughs> don't like this cover of like sort of unbreaking. There's these chains.
1: Yeah. In, yeah.
0: That's like finish line tape, but they're actually chains that are coming on
1: Yeah. Um, I like that.
0: Yeah. And so I just, when you free yourself from other people's opinions, you live a much different life. And when I realized that, my life became different. And that is why I wrote the book. And that is the most important it's I put as number seven, but to me, that's the most important.
1: Yeah. And I, man, there's so much of that, that I could relate to in my personal Mm -hmm. life and journey. Like you, I, I grew up, I was like middle child, right. Like single mom growing up. And it was like, you always want to do good. You always wanted to get, you know, that award. And, um, you know, it's, I was definitely that person as well. And, you know, it took me a real long time, but I I finally can say that I'm at that point in my career where, Hey, I don't really care. Not that I don't care. Right. It's not that I don't care, but I'm going to be my authentic true self. Right. And I'm a physical therapist who's an academician and, you know, had a PhD and stuff, but I have a podcast because I like to do this. And I like to give back to my running community. And in the beginning, it was tough because there's a lot of judgment like, oh, that's not professional or, you know, you can't do that on social media and you can't. And, you know, once I finally broke free of the worrying about what others thought or said, or wasn't what people expected, then I was able to live a much freer and happier life. So I can relate to some of what you're speaking about there. And, and yeah, that, I think that's huge. Like I have two daughters, so man, there's one of mine that is just, she's always like trying to please people like all the time. I see it with her friends. I see it even with us as parents. And I'm like, man, like, uh, you know, we're trying to work on that with her. Um, so she doesn't, you know, grow up and, you know, not be her true self. And like, you know, we want her to kind of be herself and, um, not worry so much about what other people think. And, you know, as definitely as a teenager, that's a little tougher, right. During those years. Um, but (laughs) yeah, that definitely can be, uh, it can be a challenge. And I think that really is the big take home from the book. And, you know, thank you for sharing that message, because I think there's a lot of people that can resonate with some of those feelings that you may feel in comparison wise, especially with social media nowadays, Strava, right? It's like everyone gets in that comparison game. Um, So it's important to note that if you want to live your true self and fullest to your abilities that we need to get out of that. And then, uh, last, but certainly not least, what is, uh, the eighth strategy there?
0: Yeah. Seek out challenges and don't always play it safe. Um, before all of this, I was this very, very conservative, um, runner and I did not want to bonk in a race. And so, uh, I wouldn't really ever like take chances and, um, I remember when the first time I went into a race and I'm like, you know, I may, I may bonk in this half marathon, but that's okay. Cause I, otherwise there's no way I'm going to really know what I'm capable of. And I used to actually kind of judge those people. I'm like, well, they're not smart. You know, they're just going to go out too fast and they're going to bonk. And it's just much smarter to just be conservative, which I mean, maybe it is, but at the same time, like you also have to learn how to take risks, um, And you don't always want to play it safe. And sometimes you just have to be bold. And if you don't challenge yourself, if you don't get out of that comfort zone, then you'll never really know what you can do. So you got to get out of that comfort zone. You got to do the hard thing. You have to just not be afraid to fail and just see what happens.
1: Yes, I love it. Not afraid to fail. And I think, kind of speaking to that point, this was actually one of the questions that I had for you was really, you know, one of the turning points that you mentioned in the book. Um, and others have mentioned, um, like our friend Shauna, you know, from Stiletto Running, when she was on the show, of how much like a personal coach changed things for you in terms of your training and your running fitness. You know, how did like investing in a coach help you during your seven year journey um, to get a BQ?
0: Yeah, I, uh, I, I invested in a personal coach, uh, I want to say maybe two, three years after I had uh, started sports psychology. And I think prior to that, like just given my mindset, I maybe wasn't even ready for a coach because I just didn't have the mental. Yeah, I feel like you got to get your mind straight before you um you can can really go into it but i got my uh coach in uh, 2014 and it was a total game changer it took out all of the guesswork uh i i was sort of injury prone uh stress fractures like hip things you know foot things uh a lot of races i couldn't do cuz i had these injuries and then i got this coach and for like the first 7 8 years of working with this coach um I didn't have an injury, uh, at least not one that took me out for more than like three or four days, like no major injuries. And uh, having just being able to train consistently and train smart and not get injured is, I think, the biggest key to success. And knowing when to when to push really hard and when to pull back is is key. And I think having a coach is really just the best way to do it. I think you know if you're a beginner runner, uh, I can a uh, uh, one size fits all plan might be fine, but the more and more experience you get, the more and more tailored and the more and more precise you have to be, and the more you sort of have to figure out what works and what doesn't work for you. So, um, my coach is just absolutely amazing, and um, I said this big PR. Like I, I was struggling for years and years and years to get this BQ, which was three forty, and I just could not get. For seven years, I couldn't break three fifty one for seven years, and then I went from like a three thirty five to a 321 in like, you know, a year. So right. it was this huge, big fitness jump. I took my half marathon time, which would have been stayed at like 141 for years and years and years. And like within a season, I took that down to 135. And then the next year, 133 and then 132. It just um, And he, um, he just really, really helped tailor the program and took all the guest work out so I didn't have to worry about Am I doing too much? Am I doing too little? Just a precise, uh, plan that took all the guesswork out.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's important. And you know, that's certainly a lot of the feedback we hear from our clients, um, but it was nice for you to kind of acknowledge that in the book. And it's, it's nice to hear your experience in working with a coach now that can provide that structure and take away the guesswork. Um, so since this is the healthy runner podcast, um, I know you've had some injuries in the past, um, but from, your detailed uh, race history on your website, by the way, which is amazing. Uh, Mm -hmm. You've been pretty much running, it seems at least two marathons a year. So what is your secret to uh, staying healthy and like consistently running?
0: Yeah, I I think it's having a coach. Um, I went to a a physical therapist once. He said that almost all injuries, uh, they're not from your biomechanics or from wrong shoes. I mean, he said 20% of them 20% 20% of injuries are from that type of thing, but 80% of injuries are due to training error and overdoing it. Um, and so my secret to being injury-free is having a coach, um, as I just said. Um, you know, I, I try to do uh, the little things like, um, you know, the foam rolling and the, the strength training. And I just, I just started working with a personal trainer, um, strength training coach specifically for runners. I started working with her in uh, April of 2020. Um, but prior to that, I, I, didn't do a ton of strength training. Um, I was sort of typically like full-time job running, just don't have time for, for much else. So I wasn't very good about that. But, um, now that in my forties, I think the strength training is super important, um, because, uh, you don't recover quite as well, uh, as you age as I did when I was in my twenties. Um, but yeah, this, the short answer is having a coach.
1: Yes. Oh my goodness. For those listening on the audio version on the podcast, if you watch the video version, I look like a bobblehead right now because I'm just like shaking my head to everything you say. I'm like, yes, preach, preach. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So those are all the things uh, many people who have listened to this podcast have heard me preach about. So again, it's always just nice to hear that from someone else's experience. Um, in what you went through. And I know you have talked about in other areas or posts that I've seen kind of like the importance of the glutes and like how important it was like with even making tweaks in your running form and how much that changed um, some of your performance. And yeah, those things can definitely make a difference. Um, but I agree. And that was actually the main reason why I became a running coach myself is because I got honestly tired of just working as a physical therapist, just fixing all injured runners, because it was the training errors that were bringing them into the clinic. Um, so I, kn- I wanted to learn more, right, about training and coaching. And, you know, that's why I went down kind of the, the pathway that I have gone down. Um, so kind of, you know, I feel like I know, like everything about your life in the seven year journey in the book. But, you know, is there anything that, you know, you've learned since you wrote the book? Um, six years ago now that you would like to add to any of the eight strategies that we had spoke about today?
0: Um, I, I mean, I think the eight strategies pretty much sums it up. I, I really have also embraced the taking it one day at a time approach. I don't uh, talk about that as much in the book, but um, just with, especially with, uh, with COVID hitting um, and never sort of knowing the uncertainty that that brought and, and dealing with uncertainty. And, you know, I did have uh, an injury right before Boston this year, and I had another injury last year. So it was for the first time, I'm actually sort of having more significant injuries. So um, dealing with uncertainty, not necessarily knowing what's going to happen being comfortable with saying, I plan to run this race, not necessarily I'm going to run this race, but I'm planning on running this and I'm planning on running that and realizing that um, it's good to have plans, but that they can always be changed and you can't always control that. So I would say, you know, in the past two, three, four years, just um, being able to cope with uncertainty, taking things one day at a time, being present and, and enjoying the moment that you have enjoying those healthy training runs because definitely when you're injured, you realize, Oh, that day that I complained about it being hot on my easy run, what would I wouldn't give to go out and like 80 degrees right now and just run pain-free. So it just gives you a different, it gives you a different perspective to um, enjoy the, the healthy days that you have out there.
1: Yeah, no, that's I definitely appreciate, um, appreciate what we have. Right. And Kind of, uh, I like that motto of kind of taking things as they go and being somewhat flexible to adjust the plan if need be. And then, um, second to last question here is, you know, what's what's next? I know you just ran Boston um, and you got another amazing BQ, right? And you know, what's next for you in terms of running journey? I don't know if you've shared that publicly yet, but
0: yeah, well, I, I sort of feel like so I'm forty three, I'm gonna be forty four in November, and I feel like. At some point, I'm going to stop setting PRs. It's just kind of inevitable. So I feel like right now, I I maybe still can. Um, I feel like I may have another one, two, three, four years of PRing. So I feel like now is the time to um, be training properly, to be um, to be can you continue working with a coach, and uh, to really be giving it all I have to see what I can do to set my lifetime best. So. Um, I'm going to be running Indianapolis monumental marathon in the fall. And then I plan on doing Houston, which those are pretty tight. I usually don't do them so close together, but I think I, I can handle it. Um, so yeah, my mindset now is like, all right, here we go. Let's, let's see what those lifetime PRs are going to be. Let's see if I can squeak out another few minutes off the marathon PR, maybe another 20 seconds off that 5k PR, Um, and then once I feel like I'm sort of done with PRs, then I think I'm going to enter sort of this new chapter of maybe doing like, can we do more States or can we, I don't know, Mm do races or right now I'm trying to be uh, fast and flat, but once that's, over, I'll be like hilly and adventurous. So (laughs) that chapter will start when it starts, but we're not there yet.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. I love that. Um, I love that. And so we're kind of coming down the final stretch here. It's the last question we ask all our guests. So it relates to our topic today is really, if you can change, you know, one thing about the misconception of overcoming mental barriers with running, what would that be?
0: The misconception of it? Like, I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure. I understand the question.
1: Yeah. So I guess some people may, you know, what, what is, what are things that people are thinking of, oh, it's all in your head or you just need to, I don't know. I, I, I could just think of like things I've heard people say like toughen up or stop thinking about it too much. Right. Or, you know, how, how can someone kind of get over those barriers or what are some of those things that you commonly hear, but that are not true based yeah. on your experience?
0: Yeah. Well, when you think mental toughness and mental strength, you, you do exactly as you say, you think, you know, you, you know, you, you gotta be strong. And a lot of times what that means is backing off. And uh, it's, it's very ironic because in order to be mentally tough and mentally strong, you actually have to sort of relax the standards that you put on yourself. So sometimes being mentally strong is knowing that you're on the verge of an injury. And so you're going to skip your training run. And whereas people like, "Oh, mentally tough, you don't, you know, your foot hurts, but you're going to power through, you're going to be mentally tough. No, mentally tough means it's going to be hard for you to not run because you're very goal oriented. And actually the harder thing to do is to do the smart thing and back off. So it's a little bit ironic and you have to sort of remember that you're flipping that on its head and being mentally strong might not, doesn't necessarily look like always being like physically the strongest.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, So guys, really these eight key principles um, to overcoming mental barriers that Elizabeth uh, shared with us today for your running and your life, just to kind of recap, she really talked about one was like separate yourself as a person from the things that you do. So besides running, two was focusing on things you can control, not those that you can't. Example we gave there was weather. Uh, Three was like, don't speculate, set expectations on the process, not the outcome. So focusing more on those process goals versus the time on the clock when you cross the finish line right? Four was staying neutral, not getting too high, not getting too low, right? Like don't let the emotions prevent you from doing your best when you go out there. Five was seeking out positive emotions. So finding those things that were good, right? And the things that make you feel good, you had talked about. Six was, uh, you know, when things don't go right and you have setbacks, like, all right, feel them, but move past them, right? We're going to forge ahead Um, Get to that next step. Think about what's next. Um, Don't harp on it too long. Seven, don't compare yourself to others. And that was like the biggest one we had talked about um, is that comparison trap um, that we can all get into certain, you know, to a certain extent. And then eight was really seeking out new challenges and not always playing it safe. Um, I absolutely love these. Like once I got to that page yesterday and I was finishing up the book, I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, yes, thank you for summarizing literally, you know, the book there. But you Mm -hmm. guys will want to read the book because trust me, it was like a pleasurable experience hearing it from someone as they were going through it and then also getting Elizabeth's reflection afterwards and really, how she came about that epiphany, and then how she made the change um, to really, you know, not only, you know, get the BQ, not only run Boston, and she talks about that experience and that race in the book, which was neat, but like to do it over and over and over again, right? Like, clearly, this wasn't just like a one time thing. She's figured it out. Um, so, for those of you who are stuck and you're looking to figure it out, or you just want to prevent yourself from going down that, kind of rabbit hole and really focusing too much on being, you know, and putting too much pressure on yourself as a runner. Um, and if you resonated with that and, you know, how can others connect with you, Elizabeth, um, you know, where can they buy the book, share all that good information with us, please.
0: Yeah, so on Instagram, at Elizabeth Clore, all one word. Um, and there's a link to the book there in my bio. And then www.elisabethclore.com is my blog, which has been going, it started as a MySpace blog in 2006. So the blog <laughs> dates all the way back to 2006. If you want to read like 500 blog posts, uh, you can. <laughs> um, uh, and then, yeah, the, the book is just on it's on Amazon. So you can just search Elizabeth Clore Boston Bound on Amazon. And the book
1: will pop up. Awesome, um, yeah, guys, go get the book. We've already had people here on the Facebook Live. Uh, Coach Whitney says she's already ordered hers. Katya's bought the book five seconds ago. Um, so yeah, a lot of people are resonating with your message. Um, I highly recommend it. Whether or not you want to read it before bed or you want to read it on the beach, you know, for your summer vacations. Uh, you know, go ahead and do that. Um, Elizabeth, this has been so much fun. Like it's been great just getting to speak with you after reading about your journey. Um, Thank you so much for accepting the invite when I uh, shot you that DM and Instagram there um, and and sharing these like valuable tips on overcoming mental barriers.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. It's been great.
1: Yeah. And I look forward to following your continued running journey. Um, and thank you to you listeners who have been tuning in, whether or not you're watching kind of the replay on in within our healthy runner Facebook group or our spark healthy runner YouTube channel. Um, I appreciate all you guys, uh, make sure you go ahead and follow Elizabeth's Instagram account. Um, at Elizabeth Clore and buy the book. Um, I'm going to put all of her links in the show notes as well. Um, remember, every week we do these podcast uh, episodes for live within our Healthy Runner Facebook group. And we'd love for you to join and interact and ask your questions. Um, so check out our events tabs within our group, and you'll see all the guests and the topics coming up. So as always, let's maintain a strong mind, a strong body, and just keep running. Until next time. Hey, healthy runners, have you been listening to this podcast for a while and have been implementing the strategies we talk about on a weekly basis? If so, kudos to you for taking action because we all know those that are successful are those that take action. However, I do talk to many of you runners and you guys are trying to implement the strategies. Maybe you've seen some exercises on my Spark Your Training YouTube channel, but you're just not sure if that is exactly what you should be doing depending upon your situation. So if you're looking for clarity and focus in order to be able to collapse time so you don't have to figure it out all by yourself. That is exactly what we take care of with our team of experts in our one-on-one personalized run coaching program to get you stronger and faster so you can enjoy lifelong injury-free running. What do you get when you sign up for the Healthy Runner Coaching Program? You get 16 weeks of one-to-one run and strength training, coaching, and accountability. You get strategic one-on-one deep dive coaching on a monthly basis. You get focused feedback on your training on a weekly basis. You get the strength program for running resource library and you get lifetime access to that. You also get an online, personalized, structured run and strength plan. You get a community of like-minded runners, and then access to our trusted Healthy Runner coaching team made up of certified run coaches, a physical therapist, a registered dietitian, and personal trainers and fitness instructors. If you are interested in seeing if you are a good fit to work with myself or anyone on our team, then just head to sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching check out the behind the scenes video tour of the program and hear from runners just like you who have been through our program before we would love to provide you the clarity on what you should be focusing on in your training whether it is getting stronger with strength training, the specific types of runs you should be doing, or the nutrition you should be fueling your body with for those runs. If you're ready to get the support and accountability you need to take action and put the work in, then I would love to hop on a call with you to see if you're a good fit for a one-on-one healthy runner coaching program. Just head to sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching and get signed up for your enrollment strategy call with me today. Thanks so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's four ways I can help you grow as a runner for free. One, grab a free copy of my Spark Blueprint at programs.sparkyourtraining.com. Two, follow my Instagram page at sparkyourtraining. Three, join my free group by searching Healthy Runner in Facebook. Four, subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash sparkyourtraining. Five, Leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential runners and bring those lessons back to you here. Don't forget, hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode of Healthy Runner to help you get stronger, faster, so you can enjoy lifelong injury-free running. Lastly, if you are ready to invest in becoming a lifelong injury-free runner and want one-on-one structure, accountability, and support, from our Healthy Runner coaching team, check out the -the behind-the-scenes video tour of our coaching program and the stories from many of our athletes who are struggling with the same sticking points that you are right now. Just head to programs.sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching. Thank you again, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart that I appreciate you for listening. Now go and crush your run today.